This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where customers who save by switching their home and car save nearly $800 on average. Quote at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. How's it hanging, ladies and folks? My name is Chris R.R. Balzo, and this is my show. You're about to hear the 17th chapter of my ongoing sword and sorcery narrative. A story written, read, performed, and edited, all with your ear holes in mind. But don't concern yourself with going back to catch up quite yet, because this episode, like every episode, but especially this episode, is the perfect jumping on point, because this is a mother-flippin' prequel to the whole series... And then, once you're hooked, there's a whole season and a Christmas special to binge while you wait for the next one to drop. But for now, all I need you to do is sit back, relax, and allow me to unfurl the wizard scroll, baby. We pan into a quaint tribe nestled betwixt the wood. A small elven settlement of yurts, wigwams, and treehouses known by most as Siena Root. The midday hustle was rivaled only by its bustle, though both fell to a dead halt as that giant, dragon-shaped shadow blotted out the sun. The sight was enough to make your mama say, Oh my goodness gracious, it's a daggum dragon, everybody run! And so they did. The men, the women, and the rest scrambled from their respective hovels of dirt and leaves, shielding themselves as best they could from the plumes of blue flames raining down upon their frantic sprint. They dodged, ducked, dipped, dove, and dodged the colossal fireballs spewing forth from that shrieking blue beast's gaping maw, sped across town with a swiftness simply unheard of outside of the Tiger Woods, and hurriedly filed into the nearest cave in a calm and orderly manner. Soon enough, everyone had piled inside, with village officials touting the evacuation as a sweeping success, as elves of all manner, young and old, short and tall, with a range of hair colors as varied as the color wheel itself, blondes, brunettes, blues, greens, blue-greens, pinks, purples, and straight-up rainbow as well. They huddled together in fright, sat against the dank, moss-coated cavern walls in relative silence, hushed whispers in the occasional crying baby acting as the grim backing track to Wirt's meticulous work. The boy paced this way and that, feather quill and clipboard in hand, marking off names and keeping a tally. Waterloo Girk Purgler, Ricky Ticky Tap, Antoine Treberg, and you are? I'm sorry, madam. How do you pronounce that? And, um, the correct spelling as well? <sighs> you know what? I'll just put you down as Tina Turnstile. The boy fast walked away, skimming his charts thrice over, 
his pupils dilating wildly as he came to a dour realization. Elder Greenleaf, the head count has been tallied. The perturbed young lad fidgeted forward, giving his elder paws by means of the dire news he was about to deliver. And we're missing one. No, 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 that simply cannot be. Conduct a recount immediately, expediently. And then that's the thing, sir. I've already recounted seven times, each time coming up one short. And that one is your daughter. Goblin Jesus, no! Yes, 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 Goblin Jesus, yes. That is right, you bunch of root-chewing chumps. It is I, the revered and feared Mr. Steal Your Girl. And once again, I have stolen someone's girl. Come out here and fight me before I eat this leech all and then burn this whole freaking forest to the ground. Yes, yes, yes. Ah, fuck nah. The miscellaneous crowd of elves just yonder all parted. As Jolene slunk from the background and into view. Her chestnut-shaped, almond-toned visage. Those emerald green eyes burning with the fires of determination. Her slender shoulders, toned limbs and silky, silvery rainbow hair all draped over by a hooded cloak of leaves. Though every eye in the chamber remained locked upon the 15-foot-long elk leather scabbard strapped to her hip. As it protruded backwards and dragged along the ground, drawing a dick in the dirt behind her as she darted out to the fray. I'm about to carve that scaly son of a lich asunder like elves giving turkey in Meemaw's house. The creature crashed to the ground in a cool superhero landing pose, kicking up dust as the resulting sonic boom rattled the nearby foliage. And lo. By the time visibility had returned to the scene, Jolene had arrived. Presently she stood where there had only been some dirt and rocks mere moments before. Stood and faced the titanous opponent before her. The 20 foot tall blue bipedal dragon with an indigo underbelly with a trio of horns jutting up from the top of his skull. A protruding forehead that kinda sorta resembled angry eyebrows. And that gigantic pair of scowling, deep, Purple eyes, obscured only slightly by his short, gator-like snout. In a motion so quick that it could only be truly appreciated after viewing the slow-mo replay five times back to back, Jolene reached for the hilt of her blade and pulled it free, revealing that 15-foot-long sword of gleaming, whetted silver, the one which sparkled and shone in the sunlight. And let me tell you, the dragon, the 20-foot-tall bipedal dragon, audibly gulped at the sight of Big Pointy, the divine silver edge which presently grazed the big blue monster's big blue gizzard. With a grin consisting of over 420 teeth, the dragon gazed down at the fair maiden clutched in his three-fingered hands cast iron grip. Upon her ivory-skinned, blonde, and well-endowed personage, before shoving her into his mouth like a chicken tendy, swallowing her whole before looking back over to Jolene like, "The freaking frag you gonna do about that?" And then, yeah! 
big pointy had sliced clean through the beast's soft underbelly. All his entrails, spurts of aquamarine viscera, and one intact elf woman pouring out onto the grassy forest floor. My hero! The comely maiden burst from the pile of monster guts unscathed, leapt into Jolene's arms, and the two made out atop the dragon's disemboweled carcass to thunderous applause. Jolene, 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 please don't let the dragon eat my baby. And they all lived happily ever after. The end. Wow, Dad! That was a great story! It sure was, Prince Rodney, my boy. And that's because it all really happened. Whoa! So Big Pointy is real too then, right? It sure is. Though Big Pointy is just one of the hundreds of names bestowed upon it throughout the ages. For once every couple generations, a new warrior is destined to claim the sword and wield it against all sorts of bad guys. So that means there's more stories just like that one? Where the hero saves the world and is all buff and cool? And then Rodney's dad looked straight at the camera and said, Yeah. The king was dead. Rodney was still a boy. And so Umbrelai was to inherit the throne. After orchestrating a successful coup against her own husband, Umbrelai, sweetheart, why are there 17 skeletons in our royal bedchamber? And why do they all have knives? All the better to murder your ass with, my dear. <laughs> they had killed him with knives and established a new world order seemingly overnight. Necromancy was now legalized and was being taught in schools from K to 12,000. Skelemen, zombies, and Frankensteins roamed the streets en masse with the living folk minority forced into back-breaking, soul-crushing labor for the Thrall's benefit, doomed to construct endless municipalities of housing for the rest of their natural lives. And Prince Rodney, locked within the confines of his bedchamber, watching through a tiny little window as all this pain and suffering, as all this expansion for expansion's sake proceeded unchecked. Rodney was fucking pissed off. ZZ Top blared from the ether as the boy spent his entire adolescence stuck in a montage sequence. And god damn he was getting prison jacked. I mean, he's hitting the weights hard, bench pressing his king size bed, drinking raw eggs and nails, doing like a million one hand knuckle push ups kinda hard. There's a dartboard affixed to the wall with a portrait of the Lich Queen taped to it, which Rodney hucked darts at while doing hanging upside down chin-ups. In a corner sat several bookshelves, all filled to bursting with the Chronicles of Gleaming Silver book series. On his off days, he would read them cover to cover, regaling himself with tales of epic conquest, foul language, and hot chicks. 
and on his on days, he would put a cabinet on either side of his barbell rack and deadlift them. Locked away from the world, with naught but bloody vengeance on his mind, he trained his days away, preparing his body, mind, and soul to conduct what Rodney came to refer to as the reverse coup. Trained to carry out his plot to destroy the woman who had murdered his father. To destroy his own mother. The Lich, who had clearly only married for the clout, and later to assume the much more threatening moniker of Lich Queen. It was the longest long con you could have ever thought of, but hey, results are results. The 20-year-long montage was over, as young Rodney blasted through his bedroom wall and darted out of frame. With a pre-moistened rag of holy water in hand, he slunk into the master bedroom. The chamber was carpeted from wall to wall with pink shag, and the skull and coffin patterns draped across the drapes were a very fitting touch as well. Moonlight permeated through the arched windows above, allowing Ronnie to just hardly spot his unconscious quarry as he tiptoed ever closer to her. The Lich Queen lie flat on her back, arms crossed over her chest vampire style, square in the center of her coffin-shaped mattress. Her flawless ivory visage dimly reflecting some moonlight off of it as she slept soundly, listlessly, peacefully. Get reverse cooed, you shit-stain on life! as he pounced forward, shoving that double-dipped holy water rag right into her face. Then her perfect, silky-smooth countenance started giving off steam as it was seared beyond recognition. Only after great effort was the Lich Queen's twisting, writhing, spasming form able to wriggle herself loose from Rodney's spring-loaded grip. She shoved and she bit. She clawed and she slapped with the ferocity of somebody four or five seconds from dying until finally she was able to roll out from underneath her assailant and onto the floor. He made to pounce upon her weakened figure once more, though upon doing so, he was shocked and appalled to find that his opponent had disappeared, not left behind but a small poof of black smoke. Oh, uh-uh, bruh, I know you did not just do what I think you done did all up in the here. I'm gonna need some backup in this lich, boys. Now go back to your room like a good boy before the 86 of us bludgeon your ass back to the bone age. Balderdash, the lich is no more. How are you all still alive? Huh, touche. And so they all clattered lifelessly to the floor. For whatever dark, twisted magics were once at play, now had been snuffed out entirely. Several years later. Good morning, Skellina! This is Adrian Ork now coming at you live with 96.9 Ork FM. And boy, let me tell you, there's some serious Stuff going down in the Fork State area today, folks. Looks like it's cloudy with a chance of all-out, balls-out warfare as the skin of continue their assaults on for Lama and Balls. And I'm 
might not be allowed to swear on the radio, but holy forking shit, there's like a million skeletons out there, and they are pissed. Where will they strike next? When will this rampage come to an end? Who could possibly put a stop to the thrall now? Why am I asking you all these questions? This has been Adrian Orknauer in the morning. I've been Adrian Orknauer, and I'll smell you later. Well, you heard the man. The undead empire advances ever closer to our city. As we speak, the thrall of bone and steel tear through Flyman Bog. We must deploy the troops ASAP. No. Well, then what do you propose we do? Just sit and surrender? Yes. Your Highness, have you gone mental? General Squires, you should know better than anybody that whatever forces we send her way will only become more corpses for the Thrall. It's a lose-lose-lose situation. No matter what we do, we're boned 69 waves from Sunday. Literally. And I know that you know there's only one way to stop that bone horde now. And it ain't by letting our men die and get turned into skeletons on the front. While you stay here and keep her and her dastardly minions occupied, I shall retrieve the Blade of Legend. This is the only way to ensure that her and her thrall stay dead for good. I have spoken, and now I take leave. But sire... Oh, fuck. Knights of Sidonia began to play as King Rodney quested far and wide. Traveled across the realm of Yergslan on the back of his noble steed. That gleaming, plate-covered stallion with naught but bloody vengeance on his mind. He rode along the Orclantic coastline with the wind at his back. He cut a wide berth around Flyman Bog, charged straight across the Sashay Plains. And finally, he ventured forth to the frosted north, through those northernmost provinces of ice and snow, and straight toward his destiny. That tall snow-capped spire known to most as Mount Shitsical, the highest summit in all the land, it loomed in the horizon, with its iconic frosted peak poking clean through the raging storm clouds above. He charged up the mountainside on foot, champing at the bit to get his hands on it. The blade of Lich's Bane. The sword that would be all of humanity, orcmanity, and elfmanity's salvation, among others. Dashing up those escalator steps in only a few minutes thanks to the pure, distilled rage coursing through his body. No. His boiling, scalding hot blood would not cool by so much as one degree, even in this frigid climate, because he was too fucking pissed to chill out. So Rodney practically fell up the mountain he was going so fast, gritting his teeth, resisting the urge to charge on all fours as he went, because his quest was just about at its end. He had climbed so far up above the clouds, so high into the sky that by the time he had finally arrived at the mountain's peak, 
He was almost in space. And when he got there, after bursting through the topmost layer of cloud, his eyes were immediately drawn to the stocky little dwarf standing there, waiting for him. His back turned, wrapped in his thick, luxurious, off-white fur cloak, drawn to what that four-foot-two man carried hoisted over the cast-iron pauldron on his shoulder. A single, manly tear trickling down from Rodney's eye as he gazed upon Big Pointy, a.k.a. the Anointed Eviscerator, a.k.a. the Big Fucking Sword, in all of its stunning glory. That 15-foot-long blade of whetted silver, the gleaming, shimmering razor's edge, which currently reflected the surrounding starlight off of it, causing Aurora Borealis to appear in the sky above them. Who the frick are you? And what in tarnation are you doing here, Well, He spun around, casting his cloak aside with a flourish, revealing a jacked, inked, and muscular frame that would make your papa say, Boys, I think I'm gay now. And Rodney, after composing himself, after wiping away that one loose droplet of emotion and watching as it froze in his palm, he made his impassioned plea. I am Rodney Bobson, rightful ruler of the Empire of Man, and I need that sword, Bob, for it is the only blade in existence capable of piercing that lich's unholy, impregnable flesh, capable of ending Skelenom once and for all. Capable of... The dwarf spontaneously leapt ten feet in the air, did three front flips and jammed his blade into a nearby stone. Doing so with enough force to make the whole mountain quake. Even more impressively, he did it with enough force to stun Rodney into silence. Before turning back toward his visitor with a toothy little grin on his face. Stroking his long, thick, manly as fuck rusty red beard. Two words... Let lettuce. Say him now with the blade is yours. After you pass my trial, that is, you Patch Adams looking ass. And with the fires of determination burning so hot in his deep purple eyes that it nearly melted the snow at his feet, Rodney gritted his teeth and growled his response. Headbutt off. Very well then, sonny boy, but do take heed, for I've got what my physician refers to as an exceedingly thick skull. My resolve be thicker, I bet. The pair were off to the races, and CTE was at the finish line. As they traded blow after blow, bashing their skulls into one another for the fate of the world itself. Rodney cringed at the dwarf's twelfth blow as his vision went blurry and he staggered for but a moment. No, I will not lose, he righted himself, planting both feet firmly upon the ground before charging forward, forehead first, CTE be damned. He would be the next wielder of the blade and end Skelenom with its divine intervention. So he charged, leapt, and did four front flips before colliding headfirst into his opponent's nuts. Oh, my balls. Oh. I do believe I've earned my prize. 
Yoink! Okay, bye! The dwarf lay in agony at the mountain's summit, clutching his shattered pride as he rocked side to side. After 84 years, a worthy successor to the blade! Then he died, faded into dust, got caught by the breeze, and dissipated into thin air. Alright, bucko. I've got like a million and eighty-six skeletons here waiting to wage war, so I'm only going to ask this one more time. Where is Rodney? Oh, uh, the king's got like... Mm, Bad diarrhea. Yeah, real bad diarrhea, if you know what I mean. He'll just... I don't care! Just, you know what? Fuck it. Kill them all. Set all their shit on fire and slaughter the lot of them. Yes, my queen. Nope. Rodney, cool new sword in hand, had crested the final hill. Just as the horrid, unmistakable stench of burning flesh singed his royal nose hairs. He looked out over yonder to the horizon, only to see that his beloved city, Rodney Town, was currently on fire. Fuck! His final gambit, the most preferable option in a sea of terrible, terrible ideas. The only plan that could have possibly saved his people's lives and their sovereignty as well had failed. Utterly. And so that freshly dethroned king writhed and thrashed upon the ground like a thing possessed. Like a man denied what was rightfully his. His inane ramblings growing so raucous, so riotous that even his noble steed was like, I fuck this shit, I'm out. And galloped off without a trace. You Fucking lich! Mark my words and match my vibe! I will avenge my people and destroy you once and for all! I will find you! I will hunt you to the ends of the earth! And you will die! Last time was personal, but this time? This time, it's personal! Yeah! Thanks for tuning in to me screaming about wizards for a half hour. If you're still here, odds are that you've enjoyed what you just heard and are stoked for more. So fear not, dear listener, because there's more episodes on the horizon. They'll be coming soon to an RSS feed near you. But in the meantime, there's already a complete first season and a Christmas special available right this second for your binging pleasure. Like I said at the top, this episode right here that you just listened to is a prequel to the whole series. So now is as good a time as any to listen to this, hop in your wood DeLorean, go back a couple episodes and catch yourself up, acquaint yourself with the world of Yergslin and all those other little guys. Because uh, next episode, we are going right back into it. So feel free to check those out and let me know what you think of the show. Either as a review on your podcasting platform of choice or anywhere else on the internet. Links to my Instagram and Twitter handles can be found conveniently in the episode description. 
next episode coming out whenever the fuck I feel like. Uh, I'm probably not going to commit to weekly anymore. Unfortunately, I just don't have the time. But, you know, I'm ready. I'm here. I'm willing. I'm able to make more at my own pace. So fuck off. And until then, mm, bye-bye. The Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish. It's the last days of summer, 1920. Do you know where your children are? They should be playing outside. Come on, Chelsea. Mima says we're not allowed to go to this house. We're not even supposed to be on this side of town. Doing their chores. Why aren't these chicken coops clean? Please, Father. I'll be good. I'll be- <laughs> ah! Oh, God! Obeying their parents. You look me right in the eyes and tell me you didn't steal this bike. Ma, no, I've been helping Mr. Diamond, all right? Lord, don't tell me my son is working at a speakeasy. Exploring their feelings. Let's go over to the apple tree. Gosh, (laughs) okay. But unfortunately for these young fools, the neighborhood bully has other plans. Tonight, you are going to meet me out in front of the old Barnaker house. Howling house? Why? (laughs) Now, a Boy Scout, a tag-along, a doormat, and a delinquent will dare to spend the night in the most haunted estate in Arkham. Will they survive to see the sunrise, or will they succumb to the hunger of Howling House? You're going to die tonight. What is that thing? Is this this the witch's library? I'm going to kill you! Not tonight! Roger, make him stop! No! You watch! Run away, little ones. I'm so hungry. Listen to the Call of Cthulhu Mystery Program's award-winning season, Night at Howling House. The complete story, available everywhere you listen to podcasts, and at CthulhuMystery.com. All the, all the outs and free, all the outs and free. <laughs>